Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? call us to them and help us to enjoy this life that you've given us and not to just be idle. Please humble us before you. Guard our hearts, our minds, our tongues, and our reactions. And I ask that you will allow us to honor you with all that we are. Forgive us for when we go astray and try to control our own lives. Help us to surrender our pride to let your spirit guide our goals, our passions, and our motivations. I ask, Lord, that you'll speak to us through this message today in this time of worship. We lift this all up before you, and we ask that you just work and show us and tell us exactly what our hearts need and what we need to hear, and that you will grow us. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for leading us in prayer today and standing in the gap on our behalf, seeking the Lord on behalf of this congregation, the GCC family. Money is the root of all evil. Among the handful of Bible verses that have found their way into the cultural language of America is this very popular verse, but in reality, I just misquoted it. And if you're alert, you knew that, you picked up on that, because actually what what Paul said and what's recorded in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Say this with me. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. According to God, money isn't the problem. It's our relationship with money that's the problem. How we view it, how we handle it, how we love it is really what is at issue. That's what Paul is addressing in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, and it is what James now addresses in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. As, as we read this passage, I'm going to read it with you in just a moment. As we read this passage, keep in mind that James is not condemning money. He is not condemning wealth. What he is condemning is the selfish use of our money and the selfish use of our wealth. Quoting Bible scholar Douglas Moe, James condemns wealth immorally gained and selfishly used. So, if you have your Bibles or your device open to James chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. If you're brand new here, we've been working our way through James since June. We are in the final chapter. I'll be preaching three sermons the next three weekends from James chapter 5. This one is by far the strongest worded passage in the entire book of James. Strong language, strong message. If we had seat belts on the seats, I'd suggest that you'd buckle in for this one, okay? But we don't. So hold on to your wallet, hold on to your purse, because here we go. James chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. 
you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages that you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now listen. That's how it begins. Two words that we were introduced to last week as Pastor Paul was preaching. And, and James uses them for the reason that, well, the reason that I used them with our grandsons down at camp meeting this week. Because I wanted them to. Yeah, exactly. So now listen, you rich people, James says. It is James's way of getting the attention of a group of people for a very important message. He has reserved his sternest rebuke for the subject of how we abuse money immorally in our lives. So, first of all, let's define who the rich people are. Who are they? Well, in the first century world in which James was, was writing, there were wealthy landowners and then everybody else. So in that world, there was a small group of people who owned a lot of land. And out of that land, they earned a lot of money. And they had a whole lot of people working for them. And when they earned that load of money, they invested it. They didn't have mutual funds. They didn't have a NASDAQ, so they didn't have stocks. They didn't have a bank to go to invest it. They didn't have Vanguard on the East Coast, Fisher Investments on the West Coast. They didn't have any of that. So what did they invest it in? They invested it in three principal areas where they could accumulate and amass their wealth. First of all, clothing. Secondly, some of you are sitting there saying, yeah, well, that happens in our house too. Clothing. Secondly, gold. And I'm not just talking about women. I'm talking about men and women. Clothing, gold, and silver. And so wealthy people amass their wealth in clothing, gold, and silver. And you look at me and you say, clothing? Are you serious, Mike? Absolutely. It was one of the surest investments that you can make in the first century. And, and if you're confused by that, think with me. You remember how Joseph received from his father what? A coat of many colors. Remember how when the prodigal finally came home and the father went out to greet him, what did he do? He put his robe on the prodigal. Remember how James or Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, and if someone wants to sue you and take your inner garment, your tunic, make sure you give him your outer garment, your coat or cloak as well. Clothing was very valuable in the first century. It had heightened value. And so if you had money, you invested it in clothing, gold, or silver. Now, scholars have long debated who these rich people are that are being addressed so strongly in this passage of Scripture. I mean, look at verse 1. Weep and wail, you rich people, because your days of misery are coming. And, and scholars have said, you know, is he really, is James really addressing the people in the church? Now, we know that the book of James was written to the church. James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This book was written and intended to communicate biblical truth to Jewish Christians gathered in churches spread across the then known world. Is it possible that this strong rebuke is actually being addressed to people in the church? 
And there are some scholars who want to try to, you know, compromise this a bit and say, well, really, I think this is probably meant for people outside the church because would there be unrighteous rich people in the church? Is that possible? And the answer to that is yes, that's very possible. One Bible scholar that I read this week said, you know, not every professing Christian is a practicing Christian. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a faithful follower of Jesus. Just because you say to others, I'm a Christian, doesn't necessarily mean that you are a Christian. What we've learned in the book of James is that your faith is manifested, it is revealed by the way you live your life. And, and, and we don't earn our salvation by our good works, but if we are truly saved, then there will be works that are an evidence that we are truly saved. Now, James says this. You remember this in James chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. He makes this point crystal clear. He writes, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And then he says this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Is it possible that James is actually speaking to unrighteous, rich people who are sitting in the church week after week? And the answer is absolutely. And so, he is giving a very clear clarion call of warning, rebuke, and correction to those who are misusing, mishandling the money that God has entrusted to them. I want to remind you, James is not condemning money. He is not condemning wealth. He is not saying that it's sinful to save for retirement. He is not saying that you cannot have nice things and furnish your home in a nice way. He is not saying that rich people cannot be Christians. What he is saying is that there are sinful uses of money that need to be confessed and repented of in the church of Jesus Christ. And he identifies three sinful uses of money. And those are the ones that we'll look at today. Here they are. Hoarding, cheating, indulging. Let's begin with hoarding. James chapter 5, verses 2 through 3. The dictionary definition of hoarding, according to Cambridge Dictionary, is as follows. It is the act of collecting large amounts of something and keeping it for yourself. I love this little addition, often in secret places. How about that? In James chapter 5, the hoarded wealth is clothing, gold, and silver. James explains in this passage that hoarding is absolutely foolish. You know why? Because your wealth rots. It will lose its value and usefulness if all you do is hoard it without a plan for it and without using it in the way that God wants you to. He gives an illustration. You people who think that you can invest all your wealth in clothing and you buy all this clothing and you have so much clothing you can't even wear all the clothing so you put it in an extra closet in this closet and you put it in your attic and put it in your basement then you build a shed out back and put your clothing in there. Don't you realize, don't you realize 
that the moth will get in and eat that clothing. My goodness. And then he uses an English construct called hyperbole, exaggeration to make a point, when he says, and, and those of you who are hoarding gold and silver, it will corrode. Now, some of you here for leisure read metallurgical textbooks and you know that that's not true. Because you know that, you know, you know, some of you know metallurgy. You know that gold doesn't corrode, right? Silver doesn't corrode. The closest thing that silver does is it tarnishes. So what are you talking about, James, that gold and silver will corrode? This is what James is saying. He's saying, listen, if you don't believe me, just listen. It won't last. Someday you will die. And you can't take it with you. It really is an old adage and it's worn out, but it's true. You have never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it, have you? You really haven't, right? I mean, I know it's worn out, but it's true. It's absolutely true. And so what James is saying here is, you hoard all this stuff and it rots away. There's a show I love to watch called American Pickers. I don't know how many of you watch it. How many of you watch American Pickers? Okay, Frank and Mike, they travel across the country. They go to these places. They once in a while land in places where the guy has collected for 40 years. He has never sold a thing. He has built barn after barn, and the earliest barns are now caving in. The roof is rotted. Everything inside that was purchased 38 years ago that had value has completely lost its value because the rain has gotten to it and the raccoons as well. And they're going through there and they're looking for this stuff and it is just completely rotted. And I watch that and I think to myself, that is an example of hoarding. You know, you think when you're buying it, oh, this is going to be my retirement. You know, I'm going to be able to live high, you know, buy Winross trucks back in the day. Man, I'm going to buy Winross trucks collect 1,000 Winross trucks, pay nearly 20,000 for the Winross trucks, go to a sale today, watch five of them being sold for a dollar, all five for one dollar. And it's like, oh my word, what happened? What happened? Now I have to say something to you. This has been a very hard message to write for me because <laughs> go ahead and laugh. Well, yeah, you didn't need to do it a second time, thank you. <laughs> if you are new, you know that I am a collector. And I collect largely paper antiques, so lots of advertisement, old postcards, books. Probably in our basement we have a couple thousand of those items, including lots of things that came from Jenny's home and my home and Jenny's grandparents and my grandparents and there are boxes and boxes. And this has been a hard message for me. I love auctions. And I used to go to a lot of sales at Alstar, community building, other places, and buy things. And they weren't really things I needed, but they were things that made me feel good. And I like to have them. Now I've tried my hand at some online auctions. And the very first online auction, I did not read the fine print. So I bid and I purchased something, and then I realized that you have to go pick it up on a particular day in a window of two hours, and it's in the middle of the day, and I can't do this. My wife is not, shall we say, complete agreement with my collecting. 
So I had to sheepishly go to Jenny and say, what are you doing on Tuesday afternoon? She said, well, I have the afternoon free. Why? I said, would you run an errand for me? Sure. What's the errand? I said, well, I bid on an online auction, and I need you to go pick up what I, what I got. She said, you are kidding, aren't you? I said, no, I'm not kidding. She said, what am I picking up? I said, a Christmas tree stand. And she said, we have two Christmas tree stands. I said, well, this is a vintage mid-century Christmas tree stand. She said, what is a vintage mid-century Christmas tree stand? And why do we need it? And I said, well, I can answer the first question. The second one is a little harder. I'm not sure why we need it, but I really liked it. And you know what? If someone doesn't buy this stuff, it's going to go into a dump. And somebody has to preserve this stuff. She said, it doesn't have to be us. <laughs> you know the worst part of that story? She got lost going to pick up the mid-century <laughs> Christmas tree stand and came home. And, and over dinner, she looked at me and she said, never again. <laughs> I said, never again what? And she said, you can go pick your own things up. I said, does that mean I get to go on auctions? She said, not really, but you know. I'm making some humor because there's some heaviness here as well. Here is why hoarding is wrong. First of all, it reveals false priorities in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can't take it with us. Those of us who have collected, and maybe because of an internal issue, hoarded. Now, hear me when I say this. It's okay to collect and find pleasure in collection, but do you have a plan for it? Is it all about you? Some of this is internal stuff. I, I like to think that when I'm gone someday, my girls, my four daughters will go into the basement and they will say, oh, dad. But I think they will say, oh, dad. <laughs> I don't think they're going to say, thank you for leaving all of this to us. Where are our priorities? Where is our security? I'll be very vulnerable and say to you that in the preparation of this sermon over the past several weeks, and even before in the past several months, the Lord has been doing a work in me, revealing to me that there was a part of Mike Sigmund that had to have these things because in a very twisted way, it was part of my security. I have all of these things. I own all of these things. My security needs to be wholly and squarely in Jesus Christ. Amen? And my priorities need to be his priorities. Why is hoarding wrong? Number two, it deprives others of help and blessing. 
16th century theologian John Calvin wrote that God designed our wealth, I love this, as aids and helps to human life. First century apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Listen, why is hoarding wrong? Because if hoarding is indeed the act of collecting large amounts of something and keeping it for ourselves, there are some people who could be blessed and helped if we weren't so self-centered and had to have everything for ourselves. Lancaster County is a remarkable county. It's one of the most generous counties in the United States. Do you know that? Before I became pastor here, for three years I was president of Evangelical Seminary in Myerstown. And 50% of my time was spent raising money for the seminary and for the theological education of those who attend that seminary, which meant that I spent half of my time on the road visiting people who had the capacity to give and give generously to support the seminary. It was during those years that I learned that national Christian ministries will employ part and full-time development officers to work solely in Lancaster County because so much wealth leaves this county to support the good work of Christian ministry in the United States and around the world. That's a good thing. That is the work of God. And I thank God for that aspect of where we live. Bottom line is this. God expects us to be generous people. You know why? Because he is a generous God. Now I'm gonna say this, and I want you to respond if you believe it to be true. Our God is a generous God. Amen? He is a generous God. He gives and he gives and he gives again. It's like he opens up heaven and pours it out. Second, sinful use of money. Ready? Cheating. Look, if you would, at verse four. What is cheating? According to the Cambridge Dictionary, cheating is to behave in a dishonest way in order to get what you want. The form of cheating that James condemns in James chapter five, verse four, is employers cheating their employees out of their income, out of their wages rightly earned. In the economy of James' day, it was a hand-to-mouth economy. And here's how it worked. You're a wealthy landowner, you employ 5,000 men and women to work your fields, at the end of every day, at the end of every 12-hour day, you were out in the fields paying every worker right then and there. Because here's the deal. If they worked that day and didn't get paid, they didn't eat that day. Nor did their wife, nor did their children. There was no savings. There was no cookie jar with a couple dollars or shekels in it. You work. You get paid, you eat. You work, you get paid, you eat. And James says, you unrighteous and sinful rich people, 
You even cheat your employees out of their hard-earned wages. Let me tell you why cheating is absolutely foolish, whether it takes place in James's day or now. You know why? Because God sees everything. God sees it all. It's amazing. You read these articles in the paper about people who have created fraud or, or committed fraud in businesses. That has also happened in our county. And they get away with it, or so they think, you know, for four years or five years or 10 years. Friends, they weren't getting away with anything. They might have cooked the books so that no one around them immediately recognized it. But let me tell you something. God sees all, right? He sees all. And you will not be able to get away with even an ounce of cheating because God will see it. Maybe no one else does, but God will. And it's interesting when you look at this verse, verse 4, the cries of the harvesters reach the ears of the Lord Almighty. Lord, we're being cheated. And God hears their cries. But did you notice what also it says? The wages cried out. The wages that should have been paid to the workers cried out and said, we're not being paid to the men and women that we should be paid to. Guilty of cheating is what they said. Why is cheating wrong? Pastor Paul concluded with this verse last week. It's at the end of chapter four. But here is why cheating is wrong. Chapter four, verse 17. Cheating is wrong because anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. There isn't a person in this room today that doesn't know that cheating is wrong. There isn't a person in this room today that doesn't know that you ought to pay your bills and that if you own a business, you ought to pay your employees. You know the good you ought to do. Then do it. Bottom line is, God expects us to be honest in our dealings toward others. Everybody here who owns a house has a tax bill that either you have paid or you will pay, probably by the end of August if you want that percent savings. You would be a fool to ignore that tax bill and think you're going to get away with it. As followers of Jesus Christ, hear me when I say this, we need to pay our bills but we also need, if we are business owners, to pay our employees. Because the greatest tragedy is not that we would get ourselves on the front page of the paper. The greatest tragedy is that we would ruin our witness for Christ and bring question upon the beautiful, generous name of Jesus. First, hoarding. Second, cheating. Are we going to lighten up? No. Third, sinful use, indulging. Look at verse 5. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, what is indulging? It is to allow yourself or another person to have something enjoyable. Let's just stop right there. That's good. I like that. God doesn't mind that, by the way. He wants you to have things that are enjoyable. He wants you to bless others with things that are enjoyable. Here's the problem. See it? There's a comma, and it continues. Especially more than is good for you. Especially more 
than is good for you. We're at Rollinsville Camp Meeting right now. We have our grandsons there. They get on to camp. Can I go to the candy store? Sure. It's the morning. To the candy store they go. Lunchtime. Can I go to the candy store? Sure. Go to the candy store at lunchtime. Candy store is, stays open into the afternoon. Can I go back to the candy store? Nona, that's Jenny, says no. Papa says, sure, let's go to the candy store. <laughs> Nona says, if you go to the candy store one more time, you're not going tonight. Papa turns aside and frowns so the boys can't see him. The boys are upset themselves. Who's guilty of indulging? Nona, that's it. Of course not. And that's what God is talking about. More than is good for you. Look at how James describes indulgence in verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And, and this passage is unbelievable. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. In 36 years of ministry, as I preached through the book of James three different times, I always took James 5, 1 to 6, tacked it on to the end of James 4, 13 to 17, and made a comment. I never preached as I am today the six full verses. So I never did the study. I never researched, what do you mean, James, when you say to the unrighteous rich people, you're fattening yourselves to the day of slaughter? Well, those of you who have raised cattle, Ken Mech, or pigs, you know what that means, don't you? You're fattening yourself up for the day of slaughter. It's not a good day. It's the day of the end. Picture of selfishness, arrogance, self-centered, conceited, more for me, I want it for myself. Bottom line is this, God expects us to be humble even with our money. This is what he says, don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. I want you to see this first. See it? It's okay to look out for your interests. It's okay to take care of Katie and Carolyn and Amanda and Lydia and Jenny. It's okay to do that. You need to do that. What kind of father, mother, grandparent would you be if you didn't take care of your own? but you also need to take an interest in others. It's not always all about us. And that's the sin of indulgence. Now in James chapter five, verse six, we see the end result. If we keep hoarding and cheating and we keep indulging ourselves, what's gonna happen? Look at verse six. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. That is a hard verse. I'm just being honest, that is hard. It's like, wow, God. Are you saying that if I don't use my money well, it's akin to murder? In James's day, Jewish people believed that if you had the ability to help people in need, but you did not, because of your own greediness, your own selfishness, that your failure to help those in need was a sin equal to that of murder. And in fact, when you think about it, Sinclair Ferguson pointed this out 
as I was reading his commentary, if there are people who are hungry and you know about it and you are the only one that knows and you do nothing for them, you know what hunger leads to? Starvation. Do you know what starvation leads to? Death. And what James is saying here is wake up, people. You have been blessed. And it's not just all for you. You've been blessed so you can bless others too. Now I want to switch gears as I lead toward the end. I want you to notice what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you read and study God's word, no matter what passage it is, including James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, it has four purposes in your life. It is there to teach you. It is there to train you in righteousness, right living. But it is also there from time to time to rebuke you. You know what rebuke is? Strong disapproval. To point up the things in your life that you're doing that God strongly disapproves of. And to correct you. You know what correction is? To get you back on the right track doing the things that God wants you to do. James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 is in the scriptures to rebuke and to correct. To say to every person who has means, you better use what you have, not only for yourself, but also to bless others. To that end, I'm gonna ask you three questions, and they're on the screen. And I want you to ask these questions of yourself. And actually, I want you to ask them in prayer to the Lord. Do I hoard my wealth? Do I cheat others to get money for myself? Do I waste money? Now listen, there is no fear in asking God those questions. Because when you ask him those questions, he will give you an honest answer, of course he will. He will reveal in your heart what needs to be dealt with. It will be a rebuke, but that's okay. It leads to a correction, and that's okay because that leads to life. And when God answers you, and like he answered me, because I'm going to tell you right now, I have been converted from thinking that I'm just going to let all this stuff accumulate. I, I'm going to have, I have a plan. I'm going to execute that plan because I don't want those girls to go down and say, oh, dad. And I also don't want that stuff to rot. Well, here's my greatest fear, that they'll go down there and say, well, none of this is worth anything, and they'll put it in a dumpster. That would be awful. <laughs> and so there's a plan to bless others. If God convicts you, Repent of whatever sin he shows you. Just repent of it. Confess it, repent, turn away from it, turn to him. Secondly, reevaluate your relationship to your money and your possessions. 
to your money and your possessions. To your money and your possessions. Let me close with this story. I was raised in a Christian home as an only child and an only grandchild. My parents came to the Lord later in life, followed him, did their very best with the resources that they had. My grandma and grandpa were really the spiritual disciplers in my life. They did a lot to invest in me. But there was one area that my grandmother and grandfather disagreed on. My grandfather ruled the roost in that area, and it was in the area of money. So the way my grandfather understood and practiced giving was if they cry loud and long enough, then you give. Not proactively, but when there's a real, real need and they start begging, then you give. So when I grew up, I did not grow up with the principle of generous giving to the church of which we were a part. I did not grow up understanding that a tithe is a base level and you give beyond that because God has given you everything you have and the more you give, God will just bless. I didn't know any of that. And so I practiced giving the way my grandfather did. And the best way I can describe that to you is it was this way. What I have is mine. If I can be convinced that someone else needs it, I might open up a little bit and give. So I'm in my second year at seminary and I go to a winter course at Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. It's a course on holy living. We're halfway through the course, the teacher, Dr. Al Coppage, is talking to us about holiness of life. Every part of every part of your being should be devoted to Jesus, okay? He starts talking about every part, and he's naming all these. And it's like the Holy Spirit fell on that classroom, and men and women started crying out in confession and repentance, and within about a half an hour, every one of us are literally on our knees at our desks, repenting of sin and asking God to forgive us. I will never forget that day. As I knelt at that desk, the Lord convicted me of a greedy heart and a greedy spirit. And he led me to take my wallet out of my pocket, lay it on the desk, and say, symbolically, Lord, there it is. I'm done with this. I want to be like you. And the way you are, Jesus, this is the way you are. Can I tell you why I was afraid of that? Because I was afraid if I opened my hands, literally, my wallet, well, they'll take everything I have. What I didn't realize was that by opening my hands, I was also saying, Lord, give me whatever you want to give me. They didn't take everything I had. 
and I simply haven't been able to get and receive everything he has. It's so much. It's so incredible. It's so overwhelming. I have never wanted for a thing. I've never thought about any loss. I've simply said, it's all yours. It's all yours. He is a generous God, amen? Amen. And he wants us to be generous, just like him. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, I thank you for your word today, and I thank you for the strong rebuke and clear correction that you have given. We live in this material world that is so selfish so often, and you want us as your followers to be selfless all the time. You want us to live not with closed fists, but open hands to generously surrender what we have to you and let you use it in any way you desire. Lord, I pray that your word would do its perfect work in the hearts and lives of every one of us. Remind us, Lord, that you are not condemning money and not condemning wealth, not condemning our retirement fund, not condemning the joy we have from collecting things you are saying, but are you using what you have, what I've given you, Are you using it in a way that blesses others and demonstrates that you believe that I'm your priority and your security? Lord, I pray that every person here and online with us would live in such a way that they are storing up treasure in heaven. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And all people. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.